The biggest competition for us now is, is, is people's homes. People have, have, have been able to eat restaurant quality food, drink unbelievable cocktails. They're now getting Warner Brothers films released straight to their widescreen TVs that they can sit and watch with their surround sound. Um, and it's actually saying, you know, what's going to make you, um, you know, leave your home and come to one of our venues? So it's actually, you know, I've got to be honest, there were, there were there were points in the pandemic I wished we had better things to send on the back of a scooter. But our but our mantra is always being trying to create things you can't send on the back of a scooter. Yeah. You know, i.e. that experience. You know, most people don't have a home that looks like uh, a Mr. Fox venue. Um, and they don't serve drinks uh, that appear like that. And you know, hospitality is centre to what we do. You know, service is a transaction. Service is how you get A to B. You know, you can get service out of a vending machine. Hospitality is the way you make people feel. Today's guest uh, doesn't really need any introduction. Charlie Gilks, who uh, is co-creator of Inception Group, talking us through all the way through from Bart's all the way up to uh, Cahoots and Mr. Fogg's. There's some uh, some fascinating anecdotes along the way, and uh, and some very dry tongue in treat, uh, tongue in cheek jokes, which is easy for me to say. Uh, I'll let you guys enjoy it from here on in, but uh, it'll be on to uh, myself and Charlie. Cheers. Yeah, you can see that. You see the uh, the doll's house in the background. Is that yours? Yeah, my dad made it. Hey. Yeah. Amazing. My dad built that from scratch. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Very uh, cool. For my, it's uh, he made. He used to make them for fun, but my daughter decided she wanted one, so That's so my dad awesome. decided to make her one. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Anyway, um, rather than uh, take you up, take up your time all day, um, I think a good place to start would be. I guess way before inception, and that sort of, uh, sort of, almost sort of childhood days. I guess when was the first moment that you thought this might be what you wanted to do? I don't think I, I thought that, you know, from from my childhood. But I think I was lucky that, you know, we travelled a, a fair amount, um, and we, you know, as a family, we used to the day used to centre around, you know, on holidays around our meals and where we're having lunch and where we're having dinner and so it was a big part of of kind of of what we did and I you know so I think I sort of a love of going to bars and restaurants developed from an early age and then any I think favorites? it really sorry any favorites um I just I used to love all the places the sort of roadside places in France that you used to go to where there was a sort of a a five euro, a 10 euro and a 15. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was probably 50 franc, hundred franc and 150 franc menu. And you just, you just, there was no choice. And you just, you just got brought out for mm. sort of courses and it's sort of husband and wife places. Um, those are sort of my, my favorites. And, you know, I've uh, got lots of happy childhood memories of getting the ferry across to France and driving through and, you know, just, finding these spots and actually I think I remember watching a Rick Stein program recently actually and they were showing uh, you know the fishermen's cafes in England and everyone's in there eating you know greasy greasy burgers and um, and, and sausages then you go to the fishermen's cafe in France where they're eating you know frito misto you know the kind of small fish that they can't sell and actually eating fish 
but I think you know food food certainly there is you know you you can eat very you know very cheaply but very well and actually I think you know we have we have a lot to thank uh Europe and our neighbors for sort of helping kind of improve the scene you know I think a lot of mm-hmm. you know the, the sort of immigration has been hugely positive um on our sort of food and drink culture in the UK and we became especially London which is such a hub up of different cultures and you know we've we've got some amazing places from all around the world now but i think mm. you, know, you know i kind of got into this really by accident in a way it was i remember when i was 13 i organized an event for school friends and and called the club and um they rang back asking for mrs jilks because my voice hadn't broken um and um it it, it was a sort of a um you know kind of not obviously non-alcoholic bar and then I did a, I did a year out between school and uni. Um, my dad, being a doctor, was insistent. I went on to uni and got my degree. Um, and I started doing all these club nights, and we, we were doing them across across London. And realised it was something I could I could do. It was sort of like you know organising an event, marketing it, and you know putting on different concepts. And I was I was running a Tuesday night at this club, and this other guy, this, my arch rival, was 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 running an eight was running a, a Thursday night. And the week Is that before, Duncan? Well, it turns out to be Duncan, yeah. You've ruined the punchline, but um, no, I'm joking. It's not, it's not much of a punchline. But um, he. God damn me. Yeah, but, but the week before um, the week before Christmas, we um, I booked the um, the club because everything's busy before Christmas. So I booked the club through the owner and he booked it through the manager. And they didn't want to choose between us. So they said, you've got to work together, which neither of us liked the idea of. Um, but he sort of turned up with with all these sort of systems and processes, and we had someone clicking in and clicking out, and and suddenly realised actually, you know, we were quite a good team, and you know, what about you know finding bigger venues and 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 doing more of these? So we did we did big big kind of you know like Hammersmith Palais, um, you know, Ministry of Sound, uh, Pasha, oh, wow. which is no longer, and did these big events, and then I think we eventually got to the point where. You know, we weren't, you know, we, we had, we, we were creating these nights and these parties, but we weren't really in control of the venue. And, you know, there was, I remember there was one occasion where um, the, uh, you know, the, the club owner at the last minutes said, you know, we're, we're, we're not having your guests in tonight. We've taken this other party and they're all out on the street. And Duncan and I, I think got to the point where we thought, well, we've got, we've got no control over this. And we said, we've got to have, yeah. get something which is kind of our own. And, this is pre-inception group. We uh, found a space, you know, underneath a hotel being developed in, in, in Sloan Square in London. And we approached the hotel because we knew it used to be a bar and had been run as a bar and said, you know, what are you doing to the space after you developed it? And their sort of words were, well, you know, we're in the business of sleep. You know, it's, um, it's probably going to be housekeeper storage. And we sort of said, well, you know, we're not in the business of sleep, but, you know, you're, you're, you know, you, we can, we're convinced we can create a lead line ceiling, we can soundproof this unit, and actually you can have a fantastic um, revenue generator here under your club. And, you know, out of this PL, we can refund any room who complains. And I think they sort of saw, you know, I was still at Edinburgh Uni, so I was doing three days a week in Edinburgh or four days a week in London. And they, I think they looked at us like, who are these 20-something-year-old guys? And, and we had a very awkward night with them. They had this driver and we went round. These guys were in their 70s. They've owned lots of big hotels. We went round various nightclubs and them sort of hands in their ears, um, you know, 
saying what a racket it was making. Um, but but eventually, I think we we convinced them, and we we did a we did a sort of management contract um, where we didn't put any money in, um, but they um, you know funded it, and we 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 set up a club called Kits, and I think you know we it was a huge learning curve for us because you know we were perceived as the sort of the founders of the club and um, these old guy older guys you know hoteliers never came at all and suddenly we were there and we knew how to fill a place but we didn't really know how to operate you know we roughly knew that you must yeah. be making a profit on vodka um and but there's obviously a lot more to it in terms of your payroll and all your other costs and um um so yeah so we so we, we we packed it out the first night the um the DJ didn't turn up and the only uh, iPod I could find because uh, it was a time you know before the sort of smartphone with, with music was was the doorman and turned out he was in sort of heavy metal um eventually got a replacement DJ but kits was kits was great we were quite curtailed in what we could do there because it was it had to be part of the sort of hotel so it wasn't hugely conceptual but we you know we learned that Charlie so we opened that in 2006. Okay. Um, and so three years before Bart's opened. And, you know, we we learned about the budgeting process. We, we learned how to run a business. And, you know, it was, it was a great experience. But I think as time went on, we realised this isn't actually ours. You know, we are, we are you know, just you know, making the hoteliers a, a lot more money. Um, mm. And we've got nothing to show for this at the end of the day and um, so the ambition was always to open our own place and we saw in new york um there was this concept called please don't tell which was this bar you went into a phone kiosk you picked up the receiver and you the back opened and that kind of kind of idea of secrecy and actually it always reminded me actually of again talking about traveling you know, i was lucky as a kid to go to morocco to marrakesh and I always remember, you know, going to visit this restaurant and I was down a d- dirty, dusky track and just, you know, there was this, this this door and, you know, I was like, God, this is going to be horrendous. And then, you know, open this door into this beautiful sort of secret garden, this unexpected Narnia um, wow. where you could, you know, eat and drink outside. And I think, you know, that that excitement really, I think, was a seed of an idea and next experience by going to please don't tell and actually Duncan happened to know this Irish guy who knew he was always trying to sell him something whether it was a a racehorse uh an oil painting or this time it turned out it was an old residence bar that he'd heard about I mean this bar had been apparently on the market for you know several years no one wanted to touch it with a barge pole it was within a um, resident, uh, you know, residential building with no one street presence in a very sleepy street in Chelsea, and um, it, it, you know, they they kept on saying, well, you know, we want signage on the front, and you know, because it did actually have a license that allowed external people to come in, and it was sort of, it was funny, it was like it was just as we were sort of seeing this idea in New York, no one had done the sort of secrecy, the secret bar. It was two thousand and nine, it was just as Twitter was really taking off. And we hadn't made much money, you know, you know, through kits. We had a little bit of money and literally, you know, 30 grand all in, we did Bart's. And I think when you don't, you know, it was the, it was the height of the recession, credit crunch had, had just happened. And I think when you don't have money 
you just got to think about every single thing. So we we literally went to car boot sales, found lots of pictures for the walls, old teapots, and it was like almost through necessity, which we used for cocktails. And now I cringe when I when I hear about people talking about cocktails and, and teapots because it's so generic. But then it was very fresh and new. And I think it was funny. It was like pre-recession. You know, everyone and uh, used to we used to speak about things and how much they cost. It was like this amazing new restaurant's open with a three million pound refurbishment. But actually, you know, I think that was became very sort of vulgar and not not you know not the thing that people wanted to be shouting when we'd been through a, you know the credit crunch like we had. Yeah. And so for us, it was all you know actually you know that had been done on a thirty grand budget and um, and you know we didn't sell membership. If you're a regular, you got a key card, but we bought we bought a single a hotel key card. So I remember when we called the company and you know we they were quite excited about our order or you know thought that we you know it was going to be a sort of 300 bedroom hotel and then we all put through our order for one. <laughs> they, were, they were disappointed. But we've got one hotel sort of door lock, which was um let people in. And then we bought a whole load of um tankers from from Kempton Market which, you know, if you're a real regular, you got you had your own tank at above the door. Yeah. And and it just, Bart's opened February 2009. And it was funny because I, I actually did, whilst, you know, it was seriously risky. Duncan and I had to personally guarantee mm. that lease. So if the, the company had gone bust, you know, we would have been, um, you know, would have been personally liable, which in hindsight was hugely risky. But the rent was very was very reasonable. I remember our solicitor ringing, Charlie, there's, there's been a mistake. It says this amount per month. Um, sorry, this amount per year, I think it should be per month. He said, no, no, that is that is that is the right amount. So it was a cheap rent. But you know, it was it was stepping up over time. And and yeah. you know, and I, I remember there was a there was a cold January day where I'd sold this idea of Narnia um and a secret world to a drinks brand. And they turned up, you know, sort of walked through the uh reception where you know a couple of cleaners who looked like you know they were moments from death were were cleaning the hallway and it was very drab and dreary and um showed them the space pre us touching it and they went from being incredibly excited to wondering which uh, doctor should uh, take us away in a white coat and and just looked completely bewildered by 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 what we were talking to them about and um made me realise actually you've got to um you know with these sort, sorts of things probably you know not some people don't have the vision to see what something can become. But it was you know we we, we got it we got it turned around pretty quickly um you know work with local artists you know real mishmash of ideas Duncan had been to this place where he saw the sort of fancy dress trunk and you know I think there's a great US uh, restaurateur called Danny Meyer. Yeah, as creating a concept is like writing music. So the notes are predetermined, but the order you put them in creates something unique. Um, and I think you know lots of the elements of Bart's, you know, were, were different ideas we'd seen from different places, whether it be books we'd read, whether it be films we've seen, and tra- travels we'd been on. So it's this amalgamation of lots of ideas. Um, you know, we hadn't created the idea of the fancy tr- dress trunk, but the way we incorporated it into the space was was different. And yeah, I remember turning up on the first Friday um, and walked to, into Chelsea Cloisters and there was this huge queue all the way through the building, which became a bit of a problem because it was meant to be a quiet residential building. And this huge buzz had been created through Twitter because Twitter was just taking off and people were super excited about finding the secret bar. Mm-hmm. 
And our tagline was London's worst kept secret. And we never, um, you know, we, we, we never gave the address away. And it was some fun reviews. Like there was, I remember there was something in the Sunday Times, you know, I, ended, I tried to find Bart's. I ended up, you know, in, in a kitchen of the Chinese restaurant next door. Eventually got in there. I saw the fancy dress box. I thought, how stupid. Half an hour later, I was, I was enjoying a martini dressed as a penguin. Um, and, I, and it was quite fun, but I think it, it sort of was, um, it, you know, the, the idea behind that was, was, was it was a, an icebreaker and, and mm. fun. And, you know, it was, it was it started off relatively inexpensive with the drinks. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a great place. And it was a real, for me, there was that real cheers feeling about it. You know, Tom, who's still with us, was our, was our first general manager. He'd kind of run the student bar at, 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 at his uni at Durham Uni. And he was He's still with you now. Yeah, he is. And he was, he was getting to know all the, you know, all, all the sort of regulars. And, you know, it, the lovely thing is people could kind of, because I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not sort of, you know, night, full on nightclubs probably weren't as much my thing as this was. And what I loved about it was it was open earlier and that, you know, you, you had that sense of community. And I remember there was this one lovely regular who used to come a lot. And he tragically um, was, um, had his Christmas party in the city. Um, and our first Christmas, he was out, out with his work and he, he got run over um, oh, wow. outside his Christmas party over in, over in the city. Um, and I remember going to his funeral and looking round. And a large proportion of the congregation were, were other parts regulars. Mm-hmm. And you really realised that there was that sense of, you know, community. And, mm-hmm. and it was just somewhere that, you, yeah, as I said, it's somewhere you, you could just go to on your own and just know you could either chat to the, one of the bartenders, chat to one of the waiting staff, chat to another regular, you can meet up. And it was brilliant. And I, I've honestly had, you know, some of the best nights of my life in that space. And it's tiny. It was a former squash court. Um, wow. um, so how many and, did, how many capacity was it? Um, well, Bart's is a capacity, you know, I think eighty is is the most you you could absolutely add a push, and it's got a little garden. But you know, the the, the lovely thing is, you know, Bart's is still going strong now, um, and it's um, you know, it it, it always going to have a you know, we're going to have a very soft spot for it um, because it really was the first, and then mm. I think yeah, I think that just did it did it got did way better than we expected way quicker. And then it was like, you know, what next? And I always, I always sort of say to people starting out in hospitality, you know, start small, you know, don't, you know, it's, it's funny. Mm. I sometimes meet people and they're like, we've never done a bar or restaurant and we're going to open a sort of 25,000 square feet, three floor, uh, you know, restaurant um, with a sort of two and a half million pound rent. And I just sit there absolutely nuts because, you know, the risk involved with that. And, you know, it took yeah. us a long time to, to have the confidence and the team to be able to operate, you know, bigger sites. Um, you know, Bart's is, was you know, relatively simple by comparison. But also it's, 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 it's much easier to have a very popular place that only fits 80, you know, because you, you have a, if you had 150 turn up on a night, to an 80 capacity you know you're, you're looking super popular and you grow from there uh, rather than having a space that never actually fills because you've got you're starting with an 800 capacity so so Bart's was really yeah the start of inception group and from there um we opened um sort of maggie's a year later um where did the name thing. come from charlie well we were 
we were looking at sort of you know concepts and we we're looking at different areas of the world you know and then remember actually there was this moment this 80s song came on and i said to, to duncan you know maybe this you know maybe it's not about um a, sort of a, a, an area it's about a time duncan mm-hmm. is really into his music was immediately tweaked onto it and was like yes you know 1980s actually such a strong decade for music and then we were desperately trying to think of names and obviously there were lots of people who were very successful in the 80s but were you know you look like madonna was obviously massive in the 80s but she was as massive in the 90s and the noughties and actually we're suddenly looking at you know margaret thatcher was in power you know for 11 years you know 79 to 1990, but she spanned that entire decade. I don't think many prime ministers have done that. You know, even if you look at Blair, who was in 97 to 2007. So, you know, he missed a few years of either decade. So, actually, thought there was something quite ironic about, you know, she lived in Chelsea at the time at a nightclub after, a, you know, and it was controversial, but actually, by being controversial, we, you know, we got loads of, we got loads of press and made a noise. When you're a small company, um, you want to be able to create a noise early days and um so yeah we you know and we didn't we tried not to sort of celebrate you know her her, we didn't want to become a kind of a Tory club so you know we used a spitting image thing and yeah we played her speeches in the loos and only played 1980s uh music um throughout and you know Rubik's Cube t- tables, really kitsch um, cocktails. You, you look to the cocktail menu through looking through a viewfinder, the, kid, the 80s kids' toy. Yeah. Um, managed to go back home and go into our loft and find all my 80s kids' toys, like my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all those things, which got poked, uh, dotted around the, the back of the bar. You know, it was nice to be able to rem- tell my mum that actually, um, you know, that she, she always said, we need, you're never going to need these again. We'll chuck them away. And I was like, I told you, there'll be that moment. Um, and yeah, Maggie's Maggie's was 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 um, in two thousand and ten, and then and then a year later, Bunga Bunga in 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 Battersea. So I mean, I look I look back on that now, and I think, wow, that was that was quick, um, really, um, to, to to have done those three openings. Mm. Was just on Maggie's Charlie. Was that still social media lad? Was it mainly? about social media to get it out there or because it had more presence was it more about no it was, it, it, was, it was interesting then because it was you know twitter was obviously social media there wasn't instagram and obviously, obviously facebook was around but it was i think maggie's was just um i think actually it was press was a big part of it it got a lot of it got a lot of press i think when we opened it was page three of the evening standard people were just curious they thought it was you know they thought it was a, a fun funny concept and they just loved the music. It was, you know, we we sort of always thought, you know, Maggie's is you know, going strong 11 years later. And we always presumed, you know, we might have to update the music at some point. But, you know, it's just, it's just feel good and fun. And I think it, it creates mm. a sort of, when you have music like that, it creates quite a happy sort of non sort of aggressive sort of atmosphere. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's just it's just been great, um, and it just became a sort of a bit of a local institution. Um, actually, it it, it 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 did well with Barts because Barts was sort of you know a ten minute walk away, and at that point, I think we had okay. a one o'clock license there. Um, and now it's a two o'clock, but Maggie's had a three, so we used to get a lot of people going. We actually had we had we worked with a local mini cab company before Uber, so we had Maggie's cabbies 
and we and we stuck uh, um, kind of a magnet on the, on the side with a big eighties. And Maggie's cabbies used to do return runs from Bart's there, which we covered. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, it was you know just so you were miles ahead of the curve, weren't you? In terms of creating experiential venues, there's so many people who followed. I think it's it's interesting because you know our mission statement from day one um, has been to create unique and memorable experiences. And experience for us mm. has always been front and centre. Yeah, and it now does. You know, experience feels like a sort of a, a bit of an overused term now. But yeah, I think we were we were, were relatively early adopting that. Uh, and they're authentic. That's the thing. It's not like you just tried to run it off a treadmill. You've you've genuinely thought about what it is that you wanted to do. Well, I think there's a really fine line. Uh, you know, you just you. I think anything you do can't be apologetic. Um, you've got to go full hog. And I think the customer reads mm. when something's apologetic. You've got to really go. I mean, we always said that if, if there was an avalanche um, and 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 London was you know dug up by archaeologists, we'd almost want Maggie's to be that time capsule. And you know, all the staff, we went big on their eighties hairstyles, shoulder pads, <laughs> roller skates. Um, you know, even our phone, we got one of those giant big 80s mobiles. Um, you know, we th- thought a lot about all the about all the details. Um and that must make your team happier though, because they're engaged in proper theatre, aren't they? Yeah, I think people, you know, they they they, they enjoyed it. it, was different. And I think, yeah, there's you know, it's, it's been amazing actually. And you know, some of the businesses. You know that's that one. Some of the you know, Antonio who's, who's behind the bar is you know part of the opening team. You know, and he's still there. I just think it's not many other places you could work like that. Um, yeah. And it's been amazing, you know, because obviously Maggie's was 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 shut for seventeen months, and we reopened at one minute past twelve on the Sunday night at Freedom Day. And you know we've opened quite cautiously. We you know we haven't opened at full capacity, but it's. Yeah, it was it was it was amazing. It was quite an emotional thing actually seeing the yeah. whole um, seeing the whole team together, seeing the DJ there again, and you know you realise people have people have really missed it. And um, yeah, it was just it, you know. How was, have you done with the team in terms of? I know we'll, we'll come back to the rest of the journey, but um, you know, with coming out the other side of it. Well, generally, the, yeah. Well, in essence, I was thinking more sort of retention of the team. I would expect. I mean, you know, I think, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, be it's, it's been hard. I think you know, across the group, you know, we've, you know, we employ a lot of, you know, Europe, you know, Europeans and people from a lot of people from Italy, for example. A lot, sadly, have gone have went back home uh, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. If you look at London, I think seven hundred thousand people left London. So obviously, you know, there was always a worry for us. We saw, uh, we saw, you know, the issues that Brexit. Um, we're going to cause with with recruitment, um, but actually the pandemic has expedited that trend. Absolutely. Um, I think you know. I think for some hospitality, you know, they, they they've seen the volatility of it, so they had to, you know, you know, kind of. I think they sort of realised that probably things were going to remain closed, and you know, that they they've jumped ship into different career paths. So yeah, I mean, you know, we've got. We still got a fair amount of our, our all core team, but not as many as I'd have liked. And you know, that's that's a real shame. You know, something like this has come and you know, you know ruined lots of well well laid plans. But you know, I think now we're busy, you know, re recruiting and trying to find people who who embrace our concepts and um, 
yeah, with, with sort of with, with with new energy, but it's yeah, that's that, that's set. I mean, I, I know you guys speak to people in the sector all the time. I think I'd be amazed if they didn't say that wasn't their number one challenge right now. Absolutely, oh yeah, by by a mile, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. talent's getting harder to find, and um, yeah, it's becoming a bit of a bonfire, isn't it? So, sure is. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, just going back then. Um, so we've we've opened we've opened Maggie's. Yeah, Maggie's, Maggie's doing well, um, and then. Some other idea. There was a, there was a pizzeria actually I used to go to in um, in London called called um, uh, Pizza Pomodoro, and I think it's yeah. still going. It's like yeah, it is. And I remember someone ringing me and they said, "What's it like?" Thinking of organising a stag there, and I said, "The food is terrible, the service is terrible, but you should hundred percent go there." And it, it was sort of made me think actually. If we could do something with great food, with great service, but with that sense of fun and take it to the next level. And so we opened um, Bunga Bunga. And it was, you know, I, th- I just felt in London, there were just so many places that you could go and eat amazing cuisine. You know, if you wanted, you know, South Korean cuisine, you, you could have it, or Vietnamese, you know, there's just so much choice. But I always slightly struggled to find places I could go that were really good fun. That was atmosphere, which where I could just go and, you know, just just sort of it was just loud and you know, and you could you would be entertained. Mm. Um, and I think you know, people used to drink, um, eat, and then go to the theatre. And my view was people were wanting theatre as they were drinking and eating. And um, I think Bunga Bunga, um, you know, has always been a little bit off the wall. And I also love the fact that it's a one-stop shop. You, you can spend your whole night there. So I always felt that um, this is the one in Battersea, the original. I always felt, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you go to a bar and then a restaurant to a club and you would, lo- you would, you would increasingly lose people. You know, people would sort of, you know, they would say, well, that was their cue to go home. Whereas actually, you're in Bunga Bunga, you're there for drink before dinner. And you know, you're you're trapped. There's no way. There's you know, so you're with it. You're with you. You're with a group for the night. Um, yeah, and that you know that that was an old pub and an old failed pub in Battersea. And we you know we were always looking at these sort of failed sites, right postcode, wrong street, um, slight destination sites. We bring a really strong concept, make a big noise, and um, you know, the hope is that we you know we stood out from the crowd because we were really doing things slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, our, 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 our sort of our next move was 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 to move it into the um, you know into the West End. And we gradually we slowly moved east over the time. You know, the, f- the furthest east we are now is, is Liverpool Street, but it took us a while to get there. So Mayfair and there's all back of house, uh, back 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 street, sort of behind Berkeley Square. Again, right postcode, wrong street, an old pub um, and. You know, we pursued the landlord there. Um, Tom actually alerted to us this being on the market. Duncan got hold of the landlord and they were trying to t- develop it into a gym, into the entrance of the gym. And Duncan, you know, took a definite no to mean maybe and literally, I think, called the guy every week for two years until I think he was either going to answer the call or put out the restraining order. Um, and he, um, he, he, yeah, he he sort of eventually gave us a, a ten-year lease, and that was that was Mr. Fox, and it was the first mm-hmm. site. We had a bit more money that we did, you know. We actually we 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 
got a proper company involved and did a proper capex spend on it. Um, and it was great fun, and you know all the Victorian elements. And they, you know, I, I had a, you know, I kind of know where most things on the walls came from. Lots of funny moments. I remember I buy quite a lot, a lot of stuff off eBay too. I've been bragging in the office. I bought the most beautiful grandfather clock for thirty quid, and was then told it had arrived in the office. So I was looking out at it for it, um, and then was presented with a shoebox and realised I'd bought a doll's house miniature. Um, so it's a good lesson to always check the scale. Um, and yeah, yeah, Mr. Fogg's opened, and you know, was, yeah, um, yeah. And it Have was, you put uh, a little grandfather clock in there? It's on a shelf. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, you know, we're quite obsessive with all the details there. That every, you know, if there's a picture of a of a, of a prime minister, you know, it is you know, Gladstone, who was prime minister at the time. Even yeah, Japanese yeah. emperors, all the pictures and the plaques. We actually have a full family tree and. You know, it, it, it basically imagines, this, I always love the story around the world in 80 days, and it sort of, it, it starts off from when he got back, uh, which is when the book ends. Um, and it's quite fun, actually, because the first, you know, time really working with fiction, and you can, with fiction, you can you can embellish and you can, um, mm. you can write your own fiction. And, um, you know, we got, you know, we got a, we got, we got the head bartender from, from the Connaught to come and open, and, you know, we got some, and we, you know, re- really sort of raised the game. Um, Rob Robin, who's our ops director, who'd been the opening general manager of Bunga Bunga, they did an amazing, amazing job, and that was really exciting for us. And that was the first time, really, that we we then started thinking. I felt a little schizophrenic because I remember going from from meetings uh, from Barts, you know, sort of nineteen twenty speakeasy. So talking about the 1980s to mad bunga bunga to more refined uh, Victorian England. Actually, do we are we going to make you know 11 different concepts or are we going to have some brands that we can really grow? And that was a point yeah. I think we decided. So, so from that, Mr. Fox, we've we've you know we've opened five, and the only other concept we we opened more recently was Cahoots, um, and that was yeah. actually you know that was really interesting because that was on the back of a, a failed site and. You know, a big lesson for us was we opened a, a nightclub um, called Disco in Kingly Court, and it was interesting because it was it it just it was it was relatively popular, but it just didn't it didn't get the spend that Maggie's did. Um, and whilst it sort of whilst it sort of got you know the spend per hour is probably now the similar to Cahoots. The trading window was 11 till 3, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you just, you just right. couldn't do the money that it needed to do to pay the rent and the costs. So Disco, um, you know, we realised just wasn't sweating that asset and that site enough. So that closed and we then, you know, had, had to think called Project C where we, we all massively racked our brains about what this should become and we decided to open cahoots which is a, a 1940s concept and um, which which we you know again i think we've always tried to turn a disadvantage into an advantage so where bart's had no on street presence and um, we're like actually well we can use that to create a secret bar and i think there are a lot of bars that are underground that try and just do everything they can to make people feel they're overground by putting in fake skylights and natural daylight lights. So actually, let's actually, again, use a disadvantage to become an advantage. And what's one thing that would have to be down in a basement? Well, 
or about an underground tube station. That's funny, and that's quite often happens with the, with the ideas processes. Duncan has one idea. He really wanted to do this 1940s thing. He's like, I love that era and that look. And I then really wanted to do a tube station. So I, well, let's make it a 1940s tube station. Um, and then we had real fun because they were used as air raid shelters and things. And then, you know, with that one, the opportunity came up a few years ago to get the site above, um, you know, so that you can kind of walk through. I don't know if you've been, but you, know, you can walk through the ticket hall. Yeah. And station is the control room but actually you know again it makes sense you know so it feels like a ticket hall buzzing ticket hall yeah. you've got the tube station you know you've got the control room where everything's run from and the sort of the narrative kind of works and it's quite um you know it's very funny you know we, we still get because we literally till, till quite recently didn't have a kahoot sign at all just said to the trains and genuinely you know about 30 tourists a day would just sort of wander down the staircase and then sit on the tube wondering why it wasn't moving um but um you know it's it, cahoots has been great um and you know we're really delighted now to have the have the other bit open and again you know it literally opened end of november 2019 so and it was just had the most amazing christmas an amazing start and then you know we all know what happened next <laughs> so covid struck and so it just hasn't actually had a proper run yet so it's been very stock start yeah. So I'm excited now just to really, it feels like we're almost relaunching that, reopening that business. Um, and um, it's, yeah, it's been nice to see how well a ticket hall has kind of chimed with the underground station um, yeah. and the control room. And they really work well as, as three spaces. Fantastic. And uh, when, you know, when you say you've sort of restarted it or it feels like a restart, have you found that you've lost a lot of traction because of the the horrible gap in the middle i think we're you know we're we're, we're re- rebuilding obviously you know it's it's sort of i still feel like you know we're in recovery mode at the moment i think it was you know we had we had so many false dawns that you know february 2020 we started seeing almost we had a slight canary in the coal mine we started seeing the um some of our big corporates cancel because we, we do quite a bit of like you know work with Facebook and Google and these were events which involve people coming from you know all around all around the world and travel from different countries from Asia in particular was restricted much earlier obviously so we started losing these events and you know these were these were substantial events to be losing so it hurt mm. <laughs> um, and you know our normal consumer was behaving completely normally until the weekend before that famous Monday where Boris stood up and said, you know, yeah. do not go to clubs, bars, restaurants. And, you know, and I think we're in absolute shock. You know, I think you, you, you just never forecast, you know, in, in your worst case scenario, you may lose a license in one site or there's a downturn, but you sort of get a warning. That's not an instant hit that we never imagined in a million years that you were going to have no revenue. Um, and so, yeah, so you go, you know, that period, it was generally a long period of how is the company going to survive at all? You know, we, we've got better terms from our, our um, suppliers. And so, you know, we, we probably we had our record Christmas, but hadn't paid for it yet or in, in its entirety. And, you know, that we were quite lucky because the rent court, you know, it, it's funny how the timing, and I don't think this is something people have really sort of spoken about much, but actually... If this had all happened, say, three or four weeks later, sort of yeah. beginning of April, for example, 
all the all those quarter payments, the rent quarter, you know, your HMRC dues would have all gone, and you know that that would have been made it even harder. You know, luckily there was a small amount of money to sort of tie tied us over until we were able to secure um, yes. more debt. But you know, but then last summer, you know, you, you sort of think, okay, right, we're we're getting back to recovery. A lot of people spoke about. September is sort of the time people were going to head back to their offices and that, you know, we were sort of, you know, we, we, we were sort of over, over the worst of this. And then obviously we started seeing more and more restrictions come in just as we were sort of starting to get momentum again, starting to get back on our feet. You know, first it was the rule of six, um, which actually for businesses like Bunga Bunga is very difficult because you just suddenly, you know, can't have any, any, any big groups and average table size there was sort of 12 to, 15 and then it was um a 10 p.m curfew which for us was you know disaster yeah and you know then the sort of famous scotch egg rule and everyone was having to serve food with every drink and then and then we had a lockdown for the whole of november but we kept our teams working and to, to prepare for christmas and then we only got 13 days of trade and um but i do you know i i have sort of probably to a slightly obsessive point, you know, overread on Twitter about what's going on with cases, what's going on, what's been going on with the vaccine. I think from November, I think when that Pfizer, I remember, you know, that, that November day when the Pfizer vaccine was announced, yeah. I think I felt a lot more positive since then because I think it soon became clear to me that that this is our only way out of this. And Absolutely. Otherwise, you know, um, we are going to be in perpetual lockdown. So that was a great moment. And so I, I think I have had faith that this roadmap back, you know, you know, you know, sort of unless a horrible variant turns up, which I, I sort of feel is fairly unlikely that we are I sort of not. Yeah, but we, we are kind of, this is recovery now and that we can recover because you couldn't, you know, we just we just weren't in the position really to make hires last summer, and you know, it just it was just it was stripping things back. Obviously, trying to keep true to our brand, but it was it was a pared back experience probably because we had, we it was, it was just survive it was survival mode. Yeah. Um, whereas now, I think you know, we're starting to get back. You know, we're you know we're not far off our 2019 revenues. Um, you know, and you know, I think feeling a lot more positive. So we're able to start making appointments again and and you know actually you know it's almost starting with a blank sheet of paper and I think it's it's trying to see what good can come out of bad and you know companies rarely get this opportunity to 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 reset um from scratch and um and that's what that's what we're doing and and looking at what we could do better looking at perhaps where we've overcomplicated things I think I think definitely businesses are, and ours is one of them that has gone through a, a positive process of simplification. I think yeah, doubling down on what you do well, but not overcomplicating yeah. and overthinking things. I think you know, probably at times we were we were layering things up in a way that just confused people, um, being so intricate with the detail that that it was too much. And I think yeah, I think I think I think we've hopefully going to achieve a better balance. So yeah, I think you know we. We feel excited about the future. Um, I just, I think everyone's just, just wants to get through this winter. I think that seems to be a yeah. big thing. I think, I think we're all scarred by what happened last winter. Um, 
despite having had, you know, in August we were all eating out to help out and, you know, things were looking good again. And we went from quite a high to an almighty low. But, you know, I think I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pleased that, you know, we've reopened and cases are on their way down rather than up. And that's, that feels really, really positive to me. Yeah. And have you, have you, uh, have you dared to dream about what's next? I think for us, you know, it's doubling down on what we do. And I don't think experience has ever been more important. I think, yeah. you know, the, the biggest competition for us now is, is, is people's homes. People have, have, have been able to eat restaurant quality food, drink unbelievable cocktails. They're now getting Warner Brothers films released straight to their widescreen TVs that they can sit and watch with their surround sound. And, and it's actually saying, you know, what's going to make you, um, you know, leave your home and come to one of our venues? And so it's actually, you know, I've got to be honest, there were, there, were, there were points in the pandemic I wished we had better things to send on the back of a scooter. But our, but our mantra is always being trying to create things you can't send on the back of a scooter, yeah. you know, i.e. that experience. You know, most people don't have a home that looks like uh, a Mr. Fogg's venue. Um, and they don't serve drinks uh, that appear like that. And you know, hospitality is centre to what we do. You know, service is a transaction. Service is how you get A to B. You know, you can get service out of a vending machine. Hospitality is the way you make people feel. And I just know, you know I think one of the, the things that I found hardest about the, lock, the lockdown period was not only, um, you know, you going through this, you know, period of thinking you're going to lose your business, but you're also kind of don't have any of those normal outlets to talk about them and see your friends and you know I mean yeah. I mean lots of people had it far worse than than I did and you know but it was just you know it was that I, I'm you know I'm definitely realized I'm, I'm I need that interaction with people um, and I and I thrive off it and um, I think it's just been it's just been great just to see people in the venues I mean I yeah, yeah. had a had a really rubbish week you know a few weeks ago because we we had to close three venues um through the whole isolation crisis you know pandemic or pandemic but yeah that was really painful because you've you've waited and some businesses 17 months but you know you know almost a year and a half to have you know unrestricted trading and to have revenue again and you know we were sort of absolutely full to the rafters as far as we could be and you know then having to basically at the last minute call someone up and tell them that well our reservations team who had to do that in front it which was horrible for them but sorry guys you know we're either gonna have to move you to another venue where we can or cancel and you know having to kind of cancel thousands of much needed you know mm. much needed covers but anyway i went i, I, I went out and i actually went to bunga bunga covent garden um, which was one of the venues that was staying open and it was a new, our new sing-along night, which was on a Thursday. And every single person was just having the best time with a huge smile on their face. And, you know, mm. it just sort of, those moments are the bits that sort of make you realise that you do love what you do and that's what, what you do it for. Um, Absolutely. So, so, you know, I think I think for us, the future, it's it's developing our brands more. I think, this, you know, we're very much trying to build collections, not chains. The idea of Mr. Fogg's is, you hopefully go to one and want to discover them all. We're not a cookie cutter and um, roll out. You know, each one is very different and unique, whether you're going to the Society of Exploration, the House of Botanicals, the Gin Parlour, Mrs. Fogg's, or his uh, original Mayfair residence, or, or you go to the tavern. You know, they all have that unique feel. I love, I, I love Mrs. Fogg's. 
Yeah, Mrs. Fogg's is good fun, and the, you know the below deck, and you know they know it's and you know that it's great to see like the it's in it's in Liverpool Street in the city, and you know actually you know when else you know open up both days of the weekend too, which has been a real positive for us. But you know that's you know that's been a that's been a great addition, um, you know you know to the group for us, and you know we're we're just excited about doing more within each brand, and you know I think you will see new sites from us. The um, you know we're obviously having to think quite creatively about you know how we do them because you know we we are financially obviously restricted um at the moment yeah. but you know landlords are doing some interesting things um now so without giving too much away you know you know there's some exciting developments on the horizon and yeah i think we're just we're just we're just delighted you know for the first time in 284 days i can say every venue is open uh and wow. we're to, you know and we're not quite as i said we're not quite going back to our old um seating plans or you know policies but you know we're slowly slowly going there and i think if cases keep moving in the right direction we'll gradually ease things and um no but it's it, it's great and i think yeah for us it's the future looks you know experience has never mattered more i think people have never needed yeah. escapism more uh and you know at, at this time where you can't travel we, we can take you around the world in 80 days um at mr fox i think i think if you're run of the mill and you're not offering something that is of experience. Well, you know, you talk about people not wanting to leave home. I think you have to engage people now, and they have to get sort of multiple sensations engaged along the way. And I think you're you're leading light in that fact, aren't you? So that if anyone's positioned well to to get people back out, and it's that kind of an experience. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's interesting because you you know obviously there's a lot of talk about people working from home in the future. Um, and you know, I, I think it's a, a very dangerous for people to work at home full time because I think actually people learn a lot through osmosis and those mm. casual interactions. And I think we all, we all need that. You know, I found it really, really hard to maintain any kind of culture in the, in the company without being able to see, see people face to face. But, um, I think, you know, for, you know, I think, you know, the sort of the, this hybrid approach seems like the most realistic, um, kind of future for for our um you know for our working lives which will be two days at home or three days at home and two or three days in the office yeah but i actually think yeah as you say i think whilst probably the big brewing pubs which are just volume players that literally you know you know two days working from home equals 40 percent less revenue whereas i think actually competitive socializing and more experienced led venues like ourselves Will benefit because I think there'll be more organised socials, and when people do go out, it's going to be a more considered choice. By being in the pub next to the tube station, or by being in the pub next to your office door, will no longer be enough, and they will just lose that volume. You know, you know, obviously, you know, prepped, manger. You know, they, you know, they're going to have to change their strategy um, a bit because they're just not going to probably have quite the volume. Um, no, that's but, yeah. right. In interesting times ahead and you know obviously we are for us we're excited about events starting again and we're excited about tourism starting to gradually reopen because you know we do get a lot of um international business travelers for example who used our places and you know we, we kind of look forward to seeing them come back although probably going to be limited this year but i hope really 2022 sees that recover more fully yeah, yeah. I, um i couldn't agree more i honestly think we're nearly there I know that's a crazy, strange thing to do, and I've always been cup half full. But it feels to me that there's a bit of a, a shift in momentum now. 
And I'm, I'm not really sure that anybody could look us down again. I've no. had enough of it, mate, as personally. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the only thing would be a, a vaccine evading variant, but I, 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 I hope it's not going to happen. Um, and, yeah, I think, I don't, I don't think the economy, you know, could take it. We, you know, the, the yeah. country just simply aren't going to be able to afford. I think, you know, the, we've just got to get the rest of the world vaccinated and, and the developing world because, you know, this is a global pandemic. It, it, it's not something that's just affected our island. And um, so, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I, I hope, I hope 2022 you can see the whole world come out of this and, and the international borders will reopen. Cheers to that. Um, I went, I came, I took my team out for the first time on Saturday and um, exactly to say it was much more of a considered let's get out. We went to Manchester and okay. people travelled from all over different parts of the country to get there. And it, Al- Albert, Albert Schloss, were you there? We, we definitely ended up in Albert Schloss at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but we went out at lunchtime. Yeah, so, um, we, we got to Albert Schloss, pretty Schloss, at around about yeah. sort of half past seven. And yeah. uh, um, I left my team to it because they're all about half my age. Yeah. Um, at about half eight, nine o'clock, having already done my eight hour session. Um, yeah. But it was, I, I'm a sociable person. And and I, I the damage done by not getting people together and no, not enjoying time together is far greater than anything that a pandemic's doing. No, I, I, no. people need to be back together. No, I agree. I agree. Well, let's hope. Let's hope this is the uh, beginning of the end. Yeah, I hope so. You know what? Um, I don't want to keep you any longer, but it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved hearing the story end to end, mate. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And, um, and and we love working with you guys at Wireless Social and, and hope to continue doing so. Thank you so much. You will do as well as uh, whatever I can be in charge of it. Yeah. Okay. Thank Great you. Stuff. Thanks ever so much, Charlie. Yes. Thanks, Julie. Thanks. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye.